Morning. Morning. Uh, we had our first Saturday service last night. Yeah. So we had 157 adults show up. That's awesome. Yeah, really good. Which means it's making room on Sundays, so invite lots of people. That's what we would ask you to do. Invite, invite, invite. Hey, I don't know if, if you caught that, but Stephen and Tegan are doing a phenomenal job leading our youth, and their leaders are just incredible. And can we just say thank you to them one more time? Um, I, I love when my kids come home talking about youth and Jesus and friendship, and that's just huge, especially in this culture. So God's not dead, Jesus is alive, and the church is still moving. And that's a good thing, right? Um, and so we're just happy, and because of the generosity of this church, that keeps getting to happen. You're going to hear over the next few weeks different ways um, that God is using the resources that you're giving to bless others. So that's fun, isn't it? Yeah? Good. This is the third service, um, so I'm going to need you to be a little lively if you want to be. If you think it sounds good and it hits you in the heart, yeah, you can, woohoo. I mean, don't do that a lot. It's distracting, but um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, if it's funny, laugh. If it's not, laugh. I mean, all those things still apply. <laughs> no, real quick, can I say something apart from what I want to talk about this morning? Uh, somebody said, no, that's good. <laughs> okay. I'm going to find you later. Uh, Alex said something that really hit me, and I think we need to hear it and hear it again. He said, thank you for grace. That means it's not okay, we're not okay. Um, and that we actually don't expect you to come into the doors of our church perfect. Did you know that? Like, we don't expect you to come through the doors. As a matter of fact, we expect you're not. Isn't that fun? That's a great expectation on you. You're not perfect. We are not perfect, and we're not always okay. And what a better place to not be okay than in the church. And so we sing, and we worship, and we don't do that because that's what churches do, or that's what religion does. So just so you know, for us, that's not it at all. We don't even sing because we can. Right? <laughs> There's a lot of us in the room, how many say, I just can't sing? But I mean, you can, you just don't think it sounds good, but that's your opinion. And so we crank the music up loud so nobody has to hear you. So you can sing with all your might. Isn't that fun? Here's why I'm saying this. When I was growing up, Rocky was big. You know Rocky. I think Rocky stopped after Rocky Four. But anyway, there might be a few others after that. And there was a song that when it comes on, like I get into fight mode. You know the song I'm talking about that... Uh, 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 and everybody starts going, oh yeah. And people actually do, and that's weird and everything, but it's just something in us. And if my son, we're getting ready to go to a game, he plays basketball, we'll kick on Eye of the Tiger, man. And we're just like, he goes in what? Prepared. <laughs> Prepared to do battle in the trenches of the basketball court. Do you know what worship does in the church? If you let it, it prepares your heart. Because here's the truth. Our hearts are hard a lot of times. And it's a hard ground to work with. And the Bible says the heart's increasingly wicked and no man knows it, but God does. And so in the midst of worship, when we're saying, God, this moment right here is for you. This isn't me. This is you. By the way, I'm not perfect. And sometimes when I'm singing the songs we're singing, I'm reminded I'm not. And in that moment, I actually stop singing. And I say, you know, God, I actually want to be like I'm singing, but I'm not. And would you forgive me and help me be more of who you've called me to be? And I go back to singing forever. And it's, ah, it's wonderful because it's true. And it prepares my heart because we're about to hear something our hearts need to hear. We're about to hear God's word. And when his word gets to a soft heart, it can shape it and mold it. 
if it hits a hard heart, it bounces off. And so we want our hearts, so we sing, and we just say, God, this moment, he inhabits the praise of his people, and so this is for you. It's not religious for us. It's about a relationship with a God that we actually can interact with, and so we do. Just a little thought. Yeah. That's free, and took a little bit longer than I thought. So here we go. Uh, we're in this series, Always Jesus, and I, I love this series. Um, we spent the past three weeks talking about hope in our home life. How do we experience more hope at home? Because we could all use more hope at home, and that would be really good. Um, and, and we've been talking as a church about hope a lot. If you go back and you look at back in February and all the way through, hope has been a huge part of the conversation because we actually believe that we live in a world that lacks real hope. We live in a, in a world that can grab a hold of hope that is wishful thinking, and if we just wish hard enough, maybe something good will happen, and then we'll something, when something good does happen, we think it's because we wished for it and it happened. And that's not really true either. It's just that God is overcoming evil with good, and so good things actually do happen because of God. And so we actually have this hope that rises above circumstances. It's circumstanceless. I made that word up. I'm just going to keep using it. Somebody got me a shirt circumstanceless, because the hope that Jesus gives us means that things can be good or bad, and we can still cling to hope. So we've said that hope is a confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God, that he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he's going to do. He always has. And so therefore, we want to grow that kind of hope. And as people who have Jesus in us means we have hope in us, and to the degree that we have Jesus is the degree we have hope. And so I just want a lot of Jesus and so when, when you come on a Sunday, you can guarantee you're going to get a lot of Jesus. We're just going to pour a lot of Jesus into you. Is that okay? We're just going to talk about Jesus. We're going to celebrate Jesus. And hope, hope grows. Hope, hope grows. No. Hope's going to grow in us. And when it grows in us, it will grow in others through us. And so that's, what we're, that's why we're talking about what we're talking about. When Jesus shows up and he is the, the first and foremost thing in our life, hope grows, and it impacts our home. And so we said the first three weeks, do you believe that God has a better plan for your family than, than the world has? And we actually believe he does. And we answered that question that my family isn't my calling, but my family has a calling. My family is extremely important, but it is a divine mean to a divine end. God wants to use your family to impact this world. And that's why it's important that you be a healthy family. This week, the next three weeks, we're talking about what does it mean to have hope in our occupational life, okay? Why occupational? Because it's an O. The first one was hope, H, home, occupation, personal, eternal. So occupational fit. Don't mess with me. <laughs> occupational life, what does it mean? Because some of you are like, I don't have an occupation. Sure you do. We're going to help you determine that you actually do this morning. But here's the question that we want to ask for the next three weeks. It's do you believe your work actually matters to God? No matter what it is you do, do you believe, and by the way, if we truly believe something, it will play out in the way in which we behave and the way we act, because it will come from a belief. Do you believe that what you do, that your work actually matters to God? And, and so when you think of Jesus always, or always Jesus, Jesus first, one of the best ways that we've been able to illustrate this is with a dresser or chest of drawers, however you want to say it. For me, it's a dresser. And that religion or Jesus, and I hate the word religion unless you're meaning taking care of the poor and the orphan and the widow, and that's pure religion that God calls pure in James. But if you're talking about the way in which we try to do things for God as if he needed it, or earn our way to, to God's pleasure or pleasing God, 
No, he just loves us and gave us Jesus. He gives us life because he loves us. We just have to receive it. So for many of us, our faith, our walk with God becomes a drawer in a bigger part of a dresser when Jesus has no desire to be a drawer on your dresser. He actually is the dresser. And that the only person in authority that can order your life and hear this, and you can argue this point, don't argue it with me, get in a group of people and argue it and work it out because I believe it's true from the bottom of my heart and I'm living this and so I'm experiencing its truth. The only person in authority that can actually order your life is Jesus. That outside of that, you're a bunch of drawers outside of the dresser, stacked up neatly, fine, but disordered. And to the degree that we will try and do it on our own or do it with a different philosophy or a different belief system or whatever, it will always be a stack of drawers outside the dresser until we decide that the moment we give our life to Jesus, we take that which has been given to us by him, our family, and it is in Christ. And so then when it comes to our work and our occupation and we're following Jesus, it is also in Christ. And he actually has something he wants to do in and through that. Because it's in him and not outside of him. Because when it's outside of him, it's about us. And when it's in him, it's about him. Make sense? Sound fun? Cool. Let's talk about um, what's going to happen in the next three weeks. We're going to do some exposition of scripture. Simply meaning we're going to read some scripture and we're going to pull what God is saying in truth out of that. But there's something else that we're going to do that I think happens often and is okay. Um, also in this series, we're going to apply theology to what we actually believe about work. And when we say the word theology, we're talking about what God believes about something. So God actually has a belief about work. God actually has a thought and a perspective about our work. And as we dive in, let's define occupation by simply saying our work. So when we say occupation and growing hope in our occupational life, let's say we're talking about our work. And basically, or more simply put, let's define that by saying what we occupy our time with. So occupation is our work, that thing that occupies our time. And for most of us, the thing that occupies our time is the thing that we get paid to do. But for some of us, that's not true. We're moms, and you don't get paid for that. Wouldn't it be good if somebody would come to you and say, hey, can I pay you to be a parent? I would go, yeah. I think that would be awesome if you would do that. So if anybody in here would just say, hey, listen, pastor thing, you're doing decent, but I think you'd do better if we paid you to be a parent. I'm in. Okay, anyway, it's an unpaid thing, but it's work. We volunteer in things that we don't expect payment from, and it's work. And, and so it's that thing that we put our energy and our time in. Uh, the work is that thing you do day in and day out to build into the greater good. That God is actually on a mission to overcome evil with good. That's what he's doing. And you get to be part of the greater good that's happening and it's not just at home, but it's in the work that we do. Jesus had a work that he had to do when he came and died on the cross. There was the work of the cross. There was a work. So ultimately, our work matters to God, but maybe how it matters or why it matters or what about our work matters needs some clarity. And I think that's where we get in trouble is we don't have clarity in this area and that's where always Jesus comes in because I think a lot of times we come into the church and we have a good experience and God speaks to our heart, but we check Jesus at the door when we leave. Or we check him at the door of our home and think, this is my home and we'll do what I say we do versus wanting to do what God would have us do. Or we check Jesus at the door of our job and say, hey, I'll pick you up on the way out, but I got some work to do. And so what does it mean Jesus 
always or always Jesus. And if you believe that, that my life is in Christ and therefore everything I'm about, I want to be in Christ because he orders it better than I do. And it's best when I'm in him and not in me alone. When you believe that, it would cause you to ask, what does it mean to bring my faith to bear on my work? If Jesus is the most important thing in your life, if following God and everything that he has for you is the most important thing, then you're going to say, what would it mean to take what I believe and apply it to how I work and who I am at work? What would that look like? My work is in Christ and ultimately who I am in Christ determines or speaks to who I am in my work. So who I am in Christ determines ultimately or could if we allow it who I am at work. A lot of times, our religion is simply an add-on to our life and convenient at best. And because of that, it doesn't fully influence who we are when we walk into that workplace or we do the work. And what if God's intention wasn't that it becomes something that is just an add-on, but it is something that influences everything that you are? So let's start with a good theology of work. What do we believe about work? Because we believe it about God. Take your Bible, stand with me this morning. I'm going to give us a little bit of perspective on work. We stand because we're reading God's word. And in this moment, what God has to say is way more important than what Dave has to say. So the best part of this day and this moment is what we're about to read. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in 1, 2, and 3. I will not read all of 1, 2, and 3. I promise. But we're going to read 2, a portion of 2, a portion of 3, a portion of 1. Hit Colossians and we'll sit back down. Is that good? I promise it'll only take an hour. Starting at chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Go to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? Work it and take care of it. Woo! Work. Right from the start. Isn't that good? It's supposed to be. But then something happened. Adam and Eve made a decision that they didn't like God's plan or idea, and they rebelled against it, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, not just were they impacted by sin, but so was work. And what God had designed it to be fell just like we fell. And I know many of you, we want to get to heaven and be like, what in the heck were you thinking? If work was going to be what we're about to talk about, the lack of this, oh my gosh. And they would look right at us and say, you'd have done the same thing. Because we probably do in our lives. And so chapter 3, verse 17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, right? What would it have been like before this? Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and you look at verse 27 and 28, you will see the plan that God ultimately has for us and work. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the ground. And then lastly, we'll look at Colossians chapter 3, two verses. Verse 17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And lastly, verse 23, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. God, I pray in this moment you would challenge our hearts to be so like Jesus and to see how our influence in this world can change the world through the way we work. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me just say right off the bat as we kind of dive in that we, as, we, as we look at or gain a theology of work, we have to look at it through a, through a lens of creation, that God created all things good. Fall, we decided we could do it better. And so we rebelled, and so the world is broken today because of that. But God sends Jesus into the mix, into the mess, and says, I want to redeem the world. I want to bring it back right again. I want to make all things new. That's how much he loves us. And so Jesus goes on a relational journey to live and die for our sins, but be rose again so we can have life and we can have hope. And he offers that hope not just to us as individuals, but to us as families, to us in our workplace. He redeems it all. He's redeeming us. He's redeeming work. He's redeeming the family. He's redeeming life. He's redeeming the world. And so we have to look at it through that lens for us to understand what's happening. So creation, and we're looking at Genesis 2.15, which we just read, God gives us work as a function of his generosity. Okay, so this one will wreck you real quick if you don't understand that God giving us work was generosity. You're going, what? Like, how many of you would love to get up, do nothing, and have money come flying through the door? Right? But that's not, that God knew that that wouldn't be healthy for us, that work was a part of his generosity, that he's standing up there and he's going, listen, I'm going to love all over you. I'm going to let you work. So right away, some of us are going, that's demented. No, we are demented. Right? It was good in the beginning. Adam didn't sit there going, oh, that stinks. Adam's going, sweet, I got to work. There was something pure about it, and that's how far we've come, right? And, and so it's an act of his generosity that we are able or allowed to work, and here's why. If you work, here's the truth of the principle that God wanted us to get that in America we tend to work, we tend to work against. If you work you can actually produce more than you can consume. Think of a farmer. They will work the land and they will produce, but they produce way more than they can actually consume. But in America, we've become, and I love America. This is my country. Um, I think we got some work to do. But we have become professional consumers to the point where it's just never enough. And so God is giving us work with the idea that we can actually produce more than we can consume, but we tend to consume everything we produce. And let me just paint the picture, and I'm going to implicate myself. This is no judgment on you. You probably are perfect at this, and I'm the one in the room who's the loser. So let me be the loser, and you be perfect. But we will sit, and we will eat at least three meals a day. Sometimes more, depending upon the diet we're on. Sometimes it's six really healthy ones across the day. And more often than not, at the end of a meal, especially a dinner meal, I find myself picking up plates off the table of six, and a lot of times we have people over, and so it's more than that, scraping 
food into the garbage. When I know, because I've walked the streets of a third world country, that there are people getting up that day wondering where their first meal is going to come from. And so we have been given work knowing we can produce way more than we can consume. And God calls that generosity because he knows that when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, you'll start looking at your resources differently. That's why we do youth ministry around here because many people sitting in this room look at their resources differently. And so, simply put, work is rooted in God's generosity for you and for others because they will benefit from that work. And so God blesses work so that we can be a blessing. Isn't that good? We're coming back to it. God blesses work so that we can be a blessing. Ultimately, work is an act of worship towards God. That's what work is. He says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if you're doing it for God and not for man. And so we come in and we say, God, what I do, I do for you. But do we? And then the fall comes in and sin makes it really tough in Genesis 3, 17. And God says, okay, it's going to be painful and there's going to be sweat and it's going to be awful. And so everyone isn't actually out for the good of others, are they, in the workplace today? I mean, there are some, and thank God for the lights and the darkness, but for the most part, it's, you know what, I'm going to do what I got to do, and I'm going to get mine. My piece of the American dream, my piece of the pie. I was watching Remember the Titans. I watch it all the time. Anybody else remember the Titans fans, football movie? Woo, okay, great movie. One of my favorite scenes is when two of the defensemen are, are, are tired and angry at each other, left side, strong side, and they come together, and he said, man, you're playing selfish football. And he looks back at him and he says, you know what? Nobody's playing selfless. Everybody's playing selfish. And so I'm going to work and I'm going to get mine. And he looks at him and he says, man, that's the worst attitude I've seen yet. And he looks back at him and he says, well, leader, attitude reflects leadership, captain. And I'm like, that's a message. I'll preach. <laughs> Not this particular one, but that, one, that is awesome. Like if I was a coach, I want to say that. Attitude reflects leadership. But it came down to, I'm going to get mine. That's what sin has done. It's all about rising to the top at the expense of whoever. And so everyone isn't out for the good of others. And before the fall, work is worship. Adam had to love taking care of the garden, doing what he did. But after the fall, work is often everything but worship. And it's not how God intended it. And so many cultures see work as a means to an end. I have to work so that my family can eat, or I have to work so that I can pay the bills, or I have to work... A lot of times in Western culture in America, and, and this is probably more po prominent than the other, work is an end unto itself. I work because that's where I find my value. I work because I'm appreciated in, at that, there, and I'm not appreciated in other places, and so I, that's why I go to work. I work because I'm successful, and I love how success feels. It's an end unto itself. Never God's intention for work. And so Jesus steps in with redemption and he begins a redemptive process that impacts our lives and impacts our families and impacts our jobs, the work that we do. And so Jesus steps into the mess and changes everything, even the way we work and the way we think about work. That's what I want to see happen in this place this morning. And maybe you've got it already and good for you. Teach us, teach others. Let's hold each other accountable. But for those of us that don't, let's dive in. And let me talk first about calling because this one drives me nuts, okay? Um, I have a calling on my life to be a pastor, 
right? That, that was my calling. You have a calling on your life to be a doctor or to be a lawyer. Uh, we talk about this calling. There are some of you sitting here, you got nothing like that. And so you don't even know what you are. That's because it's dumb. Can I just, can we just be honest? I think it's dumb. Like, I don't have a calling to be a pastor. You don't have a call. This is going to disrupt, so this will disrupt some folks. I apologize if you're angry at me right now. Um, but let me keep talking and maybe we'll get less angry. When we step into a relationship with Jesus, the most important thing that God has for your life is that you know his son, that you know him through his son, that you follow Jesus, that you let him shape you into the image of Jesus. And so your calling is to, first of all, come into relationship with God through Jesus. And once you've done that, your calling means that you have now joined God's mission because you've been invited in, you've accepted the invitation, and so now you become a mouthpiece for God wherever you are. And so our calling isn't necessarily the place we work. Our calling is understanding that I am a partner with God in the mission to reconcile the world, that he's redeeming and restoring all things, and I've been invited into that. And now I get to be a mouthpiece on his mission. I have been called from the moment I found Christ and followed Jesus to speak of who Jesus is and bring hope and grow hope into this world. And so everybody in this room who has a relationship with Jesus has a calling. Woo! See, now everybody feels a little bit better. A little bit better. And then in the midst of that, God says, here's what I want you to do to play that calling out. For me, it was to be a pastor. For others of us, it's to be a lawyer, to be a counselor, to be a hairstylist, to be a... And some of you are going, God's never spoke to me. So then take whatever it is you're doing and do it for him. And remember, you have a calling in the midst of it. And that should be good news for every one of us. And so Jesus steps in and we have this calling that God is wanting to use us in our work to grow hope in the place we work and that you are the agent of hope because Jesus is in you. And it's making all things new. And so Jesus always, or every day over one day, it's not about punching a clock on a Sunday and being a Sunday Christian. It's not even about being a Christian. It's about following Jesus. Every day over one day means we no longer see our work separate from our faith. You don't get to be, okay, that's judgmental. Hang on. It's not beneficial to be one way at work and another way at church. To be one way at home and another way when you're alone with God. What's beneficial is that when your life is in Christ and he is ordering your life, you are his representative in everything you do. Changes the way you parent, changes the way you love, changes the way you work. And so what does it mean to bring our faith to bear on our work? It would change, and here it is. Here's what I'm not saying real quick, and we will be done literally in, at 12.15, I promise. The bears are playing right now. Some of you are going, you're watching. I see you. Your face is glowing. You're not hiding it. <laughs> Kickoff has happened. It would change, this, stay with me, like we're almost done. For first service, they sent the piano guy out early to start playing the piano, you know, like we're ending. Do you know what happens when the piano guy comes out? <laughs> yeah, I'm about to. People start packing up. I watch. It's like, oh, the piano's playing. It's the end. We've conditioned everybody. When, and he came out early, and I'm going, whoop. Don't you dare start packing up, okay? <laughs> Same thing right now. Don't you dare pull out those phones and start seeing how the bears are doing. I promise you, they'll lose if you do that. I'm totally, I don't, I, I just, I don't, I don't know that that's true. Anyway, 
I'm a Bears fan. Okay, here's the biggie. Now that we've set you up, here's the biggie. What would it mean to bring our faith to bear on our work? It would change the what we do to the how we do it. I need you to hear this because this is huge because we spend a majority of our time spinning our wheels and finding value in the what we do. And the what we do isn't unimportant, but God is way more concerned about how we do the what we do. And so let me unpack that just for a minute. God may or may not specify the where. And so you gotta live. And so you step into wherever it is you are as seeing that as the blessing from God. He may not be clear about the where. He may not be clear about the what. He may not even be clear about the why. But he will always give crystal clarity on the how. And here it is. It's Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it with every bit of your heart as if you're working for the Lord and not men because God is watching. And we tend to value the what we do when God ultimately values the how we do it. Let me unpack this for you. It starts really young, and I was guilty of this a week ago. I did this with my son, and so I'm admitting before I even got to this and then felt the conviction of I should never, ever say that again, I said it. It is a lie, and this is a lie that we have been sowing into our culture from I don't know how long. We should look it up and find out how long this question has been being asked to us since we were little. As adults, we keep on asking it, and we don't even understand the depth of the lie and the difficulty that this has caused our culture, but here's the question. The question is, and I asked this to my son just a week ago, what do you want to be when you grow up? And in that moment, and we will ask it over and over and over, and in that moment, what we have just said is, son, daughter, your value and identity will always come from what you do. In that moment, that seed is sown, whether we like it or not. When the better question, and I tested this on him yesterday, before I preached last night. What if this group, this culture, the church world began to ask our kids, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a parent, whether your kids are old or they're young, how do you want to be when you grow up? What if we began to sow that question into our kids' life? I said to my son, I said, hey, how do you want to be when you grow up? He said, don't you mean what I want to be? I said, no, I don't mean that. It's a dumb question to ever ask. <laughs> and his answer was perfect, a little too perfect. We're going to talk. But it was about being a follower of Jesus that has an influence on other people's lives in a way that would be like Christ. Like I said, that's way too perfect. We're going to talk. He's only 12. <laughs> what if we began to say, how do you want to be when you grow up? Let me describe what restoration in the workplace begins to look like for the follower of Jesus. If you are there as one to grow hope, you've been redeemed. God is restoring your life. He is helping make you more and more like Jesus. If that is the case, what does restoration look like? How is it played out? How do you show up different? And I want to give you four quick things, and I want you to hear these. This is probably the most important thing you'll get, and you're going to take this away. But here's what it is. When Jesus shows up in your life, the difference that you offer is that you work from a right 
identity. When Jesus shows up, you are no longer finding your value in what other people think or believe or what you do. Your value comes from who you are. That there is, as a parent, I'm telling you, and in parents, I talk a lot about parenting. I'm a parent at four. There is nothing, nothing, nothing they can do that will keep me from loving them the rest of their life. And when it comes to the God of the universe who loves and created you, there is nothing you can do that will keep him from loving you. And when you step into a relationship with him, whew, he gives you the identity of son and daughter. And when you have that, nobody gets to take it away. And here's the problem. If you don't listen, okay, and I'm speaking to myself, if you will allow your identity to come from what you do, then success will always go to your head and failure will always go to your heart. If you allow your identity to come from what you do to be defined by what other people think and whatever, every, all the success you, success will always go to your head. How many know somebody like that? And failure will always go to your heart. And that's why many of us sit here today fearing failure. Because we have found our identity in what we do because we were told when we were little, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when we said fireman, people praised it or police officer, or lawyer. I'm missing a bunch there, but... So, you work from a right identity because it's in Christ. Imagine running around a bunch of right identity, people running around in a workplace, how that would influence a workplace. Man, I failed. Oh, yeah, but you just figured out a way not to do it, and so let's come around you and help you succeed because your identity isn't in failing. The second one, so we work from a right identity. The second one is this. You work from a value on all work. Like you actually value every role. And we live in a culture, man, where the big people look down on the little people. That's so stupid. It's the little people that are keeping you up there. And when I think about God and Jesus, he loves everybody the same. Every person your physical eye sees is deeply loved by God. That means every role matters. From the farmer who puts it into the ground to the person who puts it in their face when they eat it. <laughs> right? Get that corn out of my face. Sorry. So we have no idea what I just said. Neither do I. Every, every job matters. Every role. What would happen in the workplace if we began to value every person? Spoke meaningful words to every role if the top began to see their role as looking up and the bottom began to see their role as speaking towards the whole thing, that every person was valued. When Jesus' people show up, every role is valued. Every person is valued, and there is nothing greater than the other, though others have authority. So you work from a right identity, a value on all work, and you work from a moral compass. When Jesus shows up and he puts his heart in us, we have a moral compass there is a right and a wrong. There is a good and there is an evil. And so if God is overcoming evil with good, then we want to be the people that bring that. And sometimes that's a hard decision because sometimes that could cost your job. But I have to believe that if doing what is right costs you your job, then the God of the universe saw it and will take care of it. And sometimes he calls you in the midst and sometimes you will actually change a culture because you stood for what was right. Let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a little head start here, and this is awesome. I have a bunch of buddies that travel the, the world actually speaking to Fortune 500 companies. 
And one of my friends came back and he told me about this story of a company that interviews people like this. They have the shuttle driver pick them up at the airport and they drive them to the interview. Then the shuttle driver takes them from the interview to the hotel, from the hotel back to the interview, from the interview back to the airport. After all the interviewing is done, they sit and they talk about this person. And here's what's happening in our culture in the workplace, whether you realize it or not. Employers are realizing that they can teach what you need to do a lot easier than they can help you be better at who you are. And so what they're putting the priority on is who you are because they can train what they need you to do. And so at the end of the interview, they want to know about the humility of the person. Is this a humble person? You want to know how they find out? They ask the shuttle driver. When that person was in a place where he didn't know anybody else knew, one of his interviewers was driving the bus. We've been given a moral compass, a right way to live and act. And in doing that, we grow hope because we grow the good. The last one is this. So it gives us a right value. We have a right value. We value all work. We see everybody as important. It gives us a moral compass. And lastly, here it is. It gives us a hope that that thing you've been doing over and over that doesn't seem to matter in the grand scheme of what God is doing actually does. Whether it's the person you work with or the thing you're doing or the thing you want to change for the greater good of humanity and God, it matters. And there is a hope, not because you may actually fulfill it, but because God has you there for a reason. And if you'll change your perspective from what I do is, more, is most important to how I do it is most important, you can make a difference that you couldn't even imagine. What would happen if we showed up like that? How much, kind of, how much hope could we grow if we sowed right identity? How much hope could we grow if we sowed that all jobs matter and we lived that out in the workplace? What could we change if we show up with a moral compass because we have Jesus and Jesus in the work of the cross showed us how to do it? And so when you have a difficulty at work, what if you went and said, how did Jesus handle that difficulty? Because he probably had to. And lastly, we have a hope. So where does that take us? Why is it important? Well, here's why it's important. In the marketplace, self-focus and what I want is king. Self-focus and what I want is king. And for the follower of Jesus, it's different. All we do, we do for the glory of God. So how becomes the key? How I do it becomes the key. And the typical Christian response in a place of compromise where integrity is lacking is, listen, I'm just going to bear it. It's just a job. And I would say we're better than that. It's actually not a job. It was an act of generosity. <laughs> That's okay. Listen, my ADHD kicks in. It's like, phone, phone. Answer, let's see who it is. Where was I? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what if we didn't check God at the door of our workplace? But what if we felt like God was trying to redeem it all through us? When that happens, we're actually validating the truth that our work matters to God and is part of a redemptive process. You get to be a part of the redemptive process. Your work matters to God, and how you work matters to God. And there is a work that God is blessing, and there is a work that God is redeeming, and there is a work that God is restoring, and he is overcoming evil with good. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that. Perfect. <laughs> when Jesus shows up, here's my last big statement. It's a big one. Because I think this is the church that we've become. 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to live this out. When Jesus shows up, when I'm in Christ, I want you to hear this and dissect it however much you need to. Your work, when Jesus shows up, your work is no longer the primary means by which you pursue the American dream. But your work is one of the primary means by which you worship God and bless others. Because Jesus isn't an add-on that if he can help you get to the success you want, you'll utilize him. But if not, you don't need him. He's the opposite. He's the one you've staked your life on. And when he shows up, work becomes the worship we do so that we can be the blessing he's called us to be to others. Let me give you one final tip. Don't do it alone. Don't do it by yourself. Don't sit here and say, I want to be the type of person that is redeeming work in our culture. That is bringing the right, that is bringing, growing, I want to be that person. You can't do that by yourself. The culture we live in, the enemy of our soul, he's smart. You can't do it by yourself. You need each other. I'm telling you right now, you actually can't do it by yourself. So wherever you work, find somebody else who loves Jesus as much or more as you do. Preferably more. I love hanging around people who love Jesus more than I do. I walk away loving Jesus way more than I did. It's just a blast. Find people. And if you can't find somebody at work, find somebody at home. Find somebody that, you, that is close to you, that is a friend. And hold each other accountable. And ask the question, how are you working? Man, today I stepped into what I do. And I did it poorly. And I hurt some people. Fine, apologize, go back, model Jesus, make it right. If we would do that, if we would find somebody, one slays a thousand, two slays 10,000, and we would learn to work how we work, we would work better. And we would bring hope and we would grow it in the places that we work. I invite you to stand. Here's the last thing I would ask you to do. Find somebody to do it with. And see, Jesus, God is three in one. I don't know if you knew that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father is on the throne. Jesus went to intercede on our behalf, and he left us the Holy Spirit. God with us. And so we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there to teach us to correct us. It's called conviction. Don't get conviction and guilt mixed up. Guilt's the devil. Conviction's God. But don't blame the devil for what God's doing. And empower us and give us strength to live the way he's called us to live. We don't have to do it by ourselves. We actually get each other and the Holy Spirit. You just can't fail that way. You just can't. And so if you're here, I want to pray for two people in the room. If you're here and you're saying, you know what? I am in the middle of a lot of darkness and I've got to be a light and it's hard. Would you raise your hand? Because I just want to pray with you. It's you. Okay. Not only am I seeing that, but God's seeing that. Here's the second question. You're sitting here and you, you're saying, I am way more focused on what than how I work. And I want God to help me think through the how way better than I do. Just raise your hand. That's you. So God, I just pray in this place. I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that when we raise a hand in response to a question that all heaven sees it. I believe that it, it's like a vow before you to say, God, that's, that's me. I, I want 
to be more concerned with how I work. And so God, I pray you would show up in the form of the Holy Spirit in each life today and that you would highlight who Jesus is in a way you never have and that you would give them the strength in every moment to see how they can be more like Jesus and bring hope to that situation through Jesus. I pray you would confirm their identity is in you and not what they do. I pray you would give them a value on all work. I pray, God, that you would please help them see the moral compass that is within them, the heart of Jesus, and let them have a hope that every day they get up, they're experiencing the generosity of a God who loves them, who is redeeming the work. And Jesus, thank you for modeling what it looked like to work hard. And I pray for those who are in a dark situation that you would give them the strength to shine brighter than the sun and that they would rest in you and know that you've got them and you have them there for a reason or you will move them on. Give us peace today to know, Lord, that you're in control and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you. Come back next week and be more, have some more fun.